And I have the privilege of continuing our series on Ephesians today. But before I, I do that, I want to I just honor and bless Pastor Steve and Andy Faulkner. They're here today. Why don't you stand, the president of Foursquare Canada and, and First Lady. We, we love you and welcome, welcome, welcome. What an awesome worship time. I feel so full I could just go home, right? It's so good. But how many know there is more? There is more. That God's word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we open God's word this morning and as we continue our series on Ephesians, we're going to lay some other foundation stones. Our theme verse this year is Ephesians 2.22, which is that in him... In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That phrase, in him, it's a key to the whole book of Ephesians. It's throughout the book. And in this first chapter, we see it 15 times or so. In him, in him. Have you ever seen the show, The Chosen? The Chosen, it's about the disciples. It's, it's the backstory of the disciples. Where did they come from? You know, what was their work background? What was their family background? What was their story? Where did they come from? We all have a backstory, don't we? We all have a story. We all have a past. We all have a place that we've come from. We all have families that we've come from. But the thing that brings us together is this concept that we are chosen. We are chosen. That we are not just wandering through life aimlessly, that we have a place in him, a place in God, and he has chosen you. That means like out of a lineup, he would choose all of you. But it means that he has adopted us and he has called us to be sons and daughters. What a powerful concept. Our big idea this morning is that you are chosen, predestined, redeemed, and sealed in Jesus. Your past, present, and future is in him, and he is in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we open God's word. Father, I pray that as we open your word, your truth would come forth, Lord. Revelation would come forth, Lord. And that there would be transformation that happens this morning in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I wanna jump off of last week. Last week we talked about the fact that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. How many of you did your homework? Thank you. Oh, I know a few of you did, um, but it was simple, practical. Bless somebody, buy someone a Starbucks, pray for someone, uh, ask God to put someone on your heart, invite somebody out to lunch, invite somebody into your home. I know in COVID that's a little bit, you know, no-go, but that was the homework. You could still do it this week. You could still be friendly this week. It's, like, being friendly, homework, is something you can do every week. It's, yeah, you can catch up anytime you want in the class on being friendly. Um, being a blessing to someone practically. But I want to jump off of that because we, we ended in verse 3 and really 4 to 10 and following is what are these spiritual blessings? And number one in verse uh, 4, Paul tells us that he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him. Not only did he he choose us in him, but it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That before the earth was created, before Jesus said, let there be light, he thought of you and chose you. And the reason that he chose you before the foundation of the world is a key there, which is in him. Because you've been chosen in Christ, and Christ is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He coexists, and he is co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So he existed long before you ever came. He existed long before the earth was ever created. And that's why you could be chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Because you're in him. Holy and blameless before him. When God looks at you, he sees you holy and blameless in your spirit. The reason that you are holy and blameless in your spirit is again because you're in Christ. You are in him. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, again, about this concept of being blameless. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What Paul is saying is, is don't grumble, don't dispute, don't argue, don't bring blame and guilt onto yourself because you were created to be blameless and innocent. You were created to be a light in the dark world. He's almost saying, don't stoop to this level and give the enemy any accusation in your life. You were created to be holy. You're created to be blameless. But sometimes what happens is, through grumbling and disputing, we fall into temptation, we succumb to temptation, and we sin. I know, I know you don't grumble with anyone. I know you don't dispute. I know I'm talking to the wrong people here. But, you know, in my culture, that's called being Italian. <laughs> Grumbling and disputing is welcome. That's called dinner. Um, but Jesus calls us higher than that. I also thought of this concept actually last night as I was meditating on this again. Your spirit is holy and blameless. Your spirit is pure, but your soul isn't. You see, what happens when we are saved, when we are regenerated, our spirit is completely reborn. Our spirit is completely holy completely in him and God sees us perfect in our spirit man but our soul which is our mind will and emotions is for our entire life being saved you're being sanctified you're being cleansed that means your mind is in process your thought life is in process Your will, your decisions, they're in process. Your emotions are in process. 
Don't allow your soul to lead you into temptation, but allow your spirit to lead you into the presence. That was a good point. That was a good point, Joel. We are predestined. We are predestined, which means we are adopted. He goes on to say in verse 4b to 6, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In love, he predestined us for adoption. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Now, I don't want to get into a debate over predestination or free will this morning. It's a long debate. It's been going on for 500 years. I remember having to read John Calvin's Institutes in university. It's like a thousand pages of systematic theology, and he was a predestination guy. But I won't get into the debate this morning, but I I will just say this is, there is a verse that has reconciled um, predestination with free will in my own heart. And it's Romans 8, 29. And it's this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, God foreknew all things. God knows every decision you're ever going to make. God knows that you're sitting here today. He knows what you're going to eat for lunch. He knows everything. Your entire life is laid out before him, and he knows all things. He knows all the choices you're going to make, and he knew beforehand that you would choose him. And because he knew beforehand that you would choose him, he now predestines you to be conformed to the image of his son. And so predestination is God foreknew that you would choose him and therefore predestined you before the beginning of time. Because with God, there is no linear time and space. God operates outside of time and space. So he can see a choice that you made today that can affect actually the past. That when you chose him, he predestined you. He predestined you. Predestined you to be conformed. Think about that. Talk about a spiritual blessing that you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That is what you are predestined for. That's what I'm predestined for. Not only do we have these blessings in the past, but we also have blessings in the present. And I want to hover on this concept of redemption that Paul talks about in verse 7. The forgiveness of sin. He says this, in him, everybody say in him. In him. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Again, the whole point that we can have redemption is because it's in his blood. We don't have redemption by sacrificing lambs and goats. 
We don't have redemption because we work hard enough. We don't have redemption because of our own blood, sweat, and tears. We have redemption because of him. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you and he died as you. So when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, he was sacrificed for all of us and in his blood, there is redemption for those that are in him. And if you're in him, you have access to redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Whoever translated Paul's writing loved the comma. Paul has more long sentences than I know of anyone else. So you just got to read through it. But what I want to hover on is that we are redeemed in his blood. Not only are we redeemed, we're redeemed by grace, which means it's undeserved. It means you can't earn this redemption. And it doesn't say that, that God sprinkles his grace on his people for redemption. It doesn't say that God just gives us a little drop it says he lavishes it upon us. He pours it out over us. No matter what we've done in our life, that he pours out lavishly grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. There is no end to God's grace. There's no end to God's grace because Jesus paid the ultimate price, the highest price that he gave his life so that we can be washed with wave after wave after wave of grace. Today we all need redemption. Today we all need forgiveness. There's people that we need to forgive. There's people that need to forgive us. We desperately need redemption for ourselves, for people around. When I think about redemption, because not only is it a daily act of coming to the Lord and being forgiven and repenting for what I've done, but it's also a, a spiritual state that when you come to Jesus, you are redeemed. And I remember when I was a kid, we would, um, we would always gather up the old you know, the old cans. And, you know, after we would finish them, we would store them in the garage. And we would fill up these garbage cans of, uh, you know, filled with these tin cans and, and, and bottles as well. Anybody ever do that? You ever save cans? Don't be shameful, come on. We all did this. And when I was um, younger, yeah, we would fill it all the way up. Sometimes we would even like, we saw that there was like three left in the fridge and so we would quickly chug them just because we wanted to bring them all back to the... And, and when we got to the store, it was so much fun because they had these machines and you got to do them one at a time. It took forever. Who has two hours on a Saturday morning anymore? But it was like hours, like you would be in there and you get to put this can into this machine. 
I don't know if they had these the same way in Canada. I think they're really dangerous, but anyway. We'd put it into this machine, and it would sound like this. And then you would take another one, and you'd put it in, and it'd be crushed. And you'd put another one in, and you'd crush it. And just that sound. I can remember it today like it was yesterday. And then at the end of all of your cans, this is the moment, this is it. This is the joy set before you that you endured the crushing. You hit the button, coins come out. You see, written on these cans, I don't know if they're written anymore, I crushed it, now I can't read it. But written on them it said, redeem for five cents. In other words, God takes our lives, we put it in his hands, we come to know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and then he crushes us, and he turns us into something beautiful, and he calls us sons and daughters, and he says you are redeemed, and he paid the high price for our lives, our sin, that we might be redeemed. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29, he says, I rejoice in my suffering. I, I, I rejoice in the crushing, he says. I rejoice in the crushing because it's in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is saying there is this great mystery that has existed for generations past. And no one quite understands this mystery, but he says, I'm gonna give you the key. I'm gonna give you a, a way to see what this mystery is. No one has known it before, before. Generations and generations have just sat in mystery. And then Paul says this, but today it's being made known. And the, and the glory of this mystery is this, is this. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we gloss over this, but this, this statement, Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory, is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. Glory is the manifestation of God's presence. Manifestation, I mean the revealing Often the glory is visible, tangible, in some cases, deadly. Hashtag Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, we had the glory. The glory was on the mountain. The glory was on Moses. 
You remember he would come down the mountain and his face still shone with the glory? In other words, being in the presence left a mark on him. The glory was in the tabernacle. The glory was hovering over the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. The glory was in the temple. This glory is the presence of God. This glory is the power of God. This glory is the outward revealing, the manifestation of God's presence as as much as it could be seen. That's his glory. And, And the mystery, over 400 times the word glory is in the Bible. And over history, this glory was untouchable. Don't go near it. You can't. It's deadly. If you're not completely pure, you're dead. You can't, you can't get near it. And we have this shift. And, and so Paul is writing to a church that would know this history. And he's saying, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, what was a building that housed the glory What was a mountain, what was an ark, what was a temple, what was a tabernacle, is now you. You are actually a temple of the Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is you. You are a mechanic's glove today. Sorry about that. It's my favorite glove, though. I was going to bring a nice black leather one, you know, for driving. But this, is, this, this sums it up. This is worn. This got holes in it. I built, uh, I built my barn wearing this glove, actually. And this glove is you. And my hand, my hand is Jesus. Now on its own, this glove can't do much on its own, unless you're in a horror movie. Then it would probably crawl across the floor on its own. But on its own, it doesn't do anything. However, When the hand goes in the glove, now the glove can do everything that the hand can do. When Jesus Christ enters into our life and he takes residence in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, Everything he can do, we can do. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the manifestation of his movement. The spoken word from Jesus through you. The miracles of God through you. 
And when we read the Bible and the stories of Jesus and the stories of the disciples and the stories of the chosen, that is not history. That is our destiny. So for thousands of years, the world was waiting, waiting for this mystery to be revealed. And it's you and me, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that when the world looks on us, they encounter his presence. They encounter his power and his purpose. Amen, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We also have spiritual blessings in the future. Can you believe there's more? Your past is secure, your present is in him, and your future. Paul says, in him, again, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. That means future. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Are you enduring a a, a hard week? A hard month? A hard year? Is your life hard? Life is hard. But rest in this, rest in this verses like this that say, he is going to work all things, all things according to his purpose, to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the sealed promise of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, he says, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Again, to the praise of his glory. The the Holy Spirit seals you for the future. It's almost like the Holy Spirit comes upon you and stamps you so that when you get to heaven, God will look at you and you will be sealed in the Holy Spirit. He guarantees eternal life for you. The Holy Spirit is your safety deposit box. Your inheritance. When you go down to the bank and you give them your name, they're going to go back and they're going to say, yep, Joel Conti, yeah, he has a safety deposit box. I don't know how this happened, but it's filled with $20 million. Amen, hallelujah. But the same goes for us. But obviously the, the, the seal, the way that we enter into heaven is not going to be riches. It's not going to be possessions. You don't take any of that with you, right? But it's when we get there, the seal of the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The marking of the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. And we enter into eternal life to be with our Lord forever. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him you are being built together to become a place that he will dwell. Christ is in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here. And I thank you that we are here. (laughs) 
And I thank you that you have chosen out of all the quote-unquote sacred places all over the world, you've chosen to take residence in sinful, soulful individuals like us. And you've chosen to move and work and speak through us that we might actually be a manifestation of your glory, your presence, and have an effect on the world around us. I pray for us, Lord, that the truth of this word would be a seed planted within us that will yield a harvest of transformation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.